Hey everyone, so this is our last show of season two, and as such, we need a little help from you, our audience. Please go to npr.org slash podcast survey to take a quick survey about the show. It's going to help us learn more about our audience so we can connect to more people like you. Again, that's npr.org slash podcast survey. What's up, everybody? Peace. Uh, Just heads up, there may be some strong language in this episode. Ooh, (laughs) some bad words. (laughs) You know when I met Dre? At my 40th birthday party. I walked into my 40th birthday party in L.A. <laughs> with Dr. Dre. And this time the security guards let you in. Nobody saw me. All, right. All they saw was Dre. I was like, it's my birthday. Hey, everyone. This is Stretch Armstrong. My name is Bobito Garcia. Together, we are the hosts of What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. This is our last episode of season two, Stretchy. It is the final, the final <sighs> hurrah. Le boo. But we have a special guest, uh, Robert Glasper, three-time Grammy Award winner, uh, Emmy Award winner. Um, I mean, he's probably going to win an Oscar and Tony <laughs> before this is said and done. He actually shares that strategy in this upcoming episode, right? Strategy. <laughs> he has a plan, yo. <laughs> he has a plan. His latest project is called R plus R equals Now. And he is just one of the most connected dudes in jazz and hip-hop and bridges that gap beautifully. He hails from Houston, Texas, but has called New York his home since 1997. Yeah. And in that time, he has collaborated with so many people that we have a shared history with. Sure. Like Common. Q-Tip. Bilal. The Roots. Yasin Bey, a.k.a. Most Deaf. 100%. Stevie Wanda, Eric Abadu, who have both been guests. Quincy Jones. Oh. And on this show, like on a few others earlier in the season, we opened up the What's Good Hotline and asked you, the listeners, to call up and tell us about your connection to jazz music. Boom! I'll be honest with you. I'm still trying to figure out jazz music. I mean, that's the beauty, right? I was actually introduced to jazz first time through the Cosby Show. Dizzy Gillespie was on there, and I had to go and ask my dad, like, who is this guy and what does he do? I just took it from there, and Cosby Show just opened my eyes. When I was about three or four, my mother used to play this guy named Al Jarreau, and she would be watering her plants and playing Al Jarreau, and that's the first memory I had. So I actually played jazz saxophone from when I was like nine until I was about 19. Jazz was really the first music I actually did understand. And I think that laid the foundation for everything else. Pete Rock introduced me to jazz without even me really realizing what was going on. I was a, an elementary school kid. I started learning those jazz songs that Pete Rock sampled from and I've been a jazz lover ever since. I'm actually so glad you got Robert for this episode because he was and still is somewhat of a gateway drug into the genre for me. So at some point my brother introduced me to the Robert Glasser trio and that's when I finally understood the soul, the complexity and versatility in jazz. Amazing, amazing. Thanks to everyone who called in and shared. We really love hearing your messages. So please, when we send out the APB on the What's Good hotline, keep them coming. Coming up next, Robert Glasper. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face. And now 
What's good with Stretch and Bobito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now, and now. When the world seems out of hand, you can count on the StoryCorps podcast for your dose of humanity. Unscripted conversations between real people about the things that matter most. This season, 12 all-new episodes about reunions and what it means to connect at this moment in our nation's history. Episodes are available every Tuesday. It's funny, like, men expressing love for each other yeah they, they usually have to like end it with the bro it gotta yo, be love extra, you bro you gotta throw extra gangster on it yeah yeah love you bro love guns. you B. it can't yeah. be like yo i love you they be like love you guns <laughs> love you guns guns yeah. nice they start naming yeah. shit football basketball this name shit anything, anything masculine they start naming shit <laughs> We're back in studio with Robert Glasper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Robert, what's up? Y'all don't have a clap simulator or nothing? <laughs> nah, we just... That was really anticlimactic. We, we do, I do this, and, and Bob goes, applause, 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 We could add, probably add him in post. We should add him in post. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. So you just finished a one-month residency <laughs> yes. at the Blue Note. 48 shows. 48 shows. 48 shows. How does one even prep for that i don't know it I, was I, man look i don't it, it was i have i don't know i don't know how i got through it was that your idea no <laughs> <laughs> the club i think the club asked my management because they do it from time to time with different well they've only done it like three times with well, well only with three artists uh dizzy gillespie did it like in the 90s Heard of so i'm the i'm the youngest person to do it in general but um yeah they came to us with the idea and because I have so many, I have my hand in so many different projects and I have a few different bands, you know, so they're like, you can do that, and, you know, and do whatever you want the whole month. So I was like, oh, all right. So, so you're doing two shows a night. You did two I, I did shows two a night. Shows, well, I, yeah, I did two shows a night. So for 48 shows, 20, 24 nights, 48 shows. And um, I, I did Tuesday through Sunday. Monday was my day off. But really, Monday was prep for the rest of the week. And we sold out 44 of the 48 shows. Wow. Completely. Completely sold out. Props, show. Wait, wait. Insert the, the clap button. <laughs> the clap right there. Exactly. <laughs> so, Robert, what 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 are your earliest music memories? My earliest music memories are from my mom. Man, I remember being three. Cause my mom was a singer and a pianist, and she sung all the genres. Man, funk, jazz, R and B. Uh, she didn't sing hip hop, but uh, <laughs> gospel. You know what I mean? And and so I remember. I literally remember being like three in rehearsals. Sitting against the wall, watching, and falling asleep, going to sleep, waking up, they still rehearse, you know, and to the point where, and also my mom, you know, she wasn't a big fan of random people watching me, like babysitters. Mm. She needed to be around me. If my aunt couldn't watch me, no one was watching me. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So she used to bring me to the clubs when she's performing, like doing her sets. So she would have me in the back room and have the waitresses she knew. Shifts, you know, walking in, checking on me while she's doing her set. She would run off between songs. And check what? on me. Oh yeah, I was at the club. She just didn't do babysitters. Now I understand why. You know, as yeah. a dad now, yeah. you know, you hear horror stories, and sure, you know, sure, sure. and maybe sometimes you just couldn't didn't have the money. You know, to be flat out. You know, right. so you got to do what you got to do. But I remember her parking the car right by the door of a club in the back, 
and me having to stay in the car because I wasn't allowed. Somehow they wouldn't allow me in the club. Yeah. So she had to come out in between songs like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And wow. check, like, literally that happened. I, I know that happened one time. Probably never again, because that's weird. Yeah. But that shit happened, you know? Yeah, but I, I was always around the music and around the hustle, you know what I mean? Wow. Of doing music and needing to make ends meet uh -huh. and seeing my mom have the passion for music and seeing her work other jobs. So she would work from nine to five at a everyday job, you know, and then come home and change and be out the door by seven to go to her job that's from 7 to 3 a.m. You know what I mean? My mom would go to work at 7. She said, "If when I come back home, you better be sleeper on that piano. <laughs> so if I was awake, I, I, I was allowed to be awake and play. The one thing she would not take away from me is playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was able to be up but be on the piano. What's the first time you jumped on stage with her as a piano player? Once I started driving, uh, which was like in Houston, I was like 14. You could drive. I used to drop her off at work which is a, uh, this bar called the Bistro Vino in Houston. When I would pick her up from work around, I don't know, 12 o'clock midnight, I'd pick her up. I used to have to park the car, go upstairs, and I had to play the last song with her, mm. you know, every night when I would pick her up. The bartender knew the director of the high school for the performing visual arts. He was like, yo, your son's really talented. Word. I can hook it up to where he can get an audition for you know this jazz director at the high school for performing arts there's only one there in houston mm -hmm. and you had to be zoned to it to go but he was like he needs to go there they'll pull strings even though you weren't zoned even though one yeah. zone so i went there did an audition crushed it crushed it and i ended up going there that really pushed me to be at that high school with that much talent my first year of high school i went to elkins high school regular high school and and I, I was the piano guy at the high school. You know, they would have me play all the new hip hop songs. I remember when I Need Love came out, they would, everybody was like, yo, Rob, play the I Need Love. Food. You know, I had to play that on the piano and I had to play all the Brian McKnight songs for the girls. <laughs> you know, I was that dude. I was that dude. <laughs> so you could play by ear and read. That's what I first learned how to, I first learned playing by ear, learning Luther Vandross songs off of, cause my mom and my dad played Luther Vandross. Lufa. I used to, man, <laughs> look, the reason why I play piano is because of Luther Vandross and Nita Baker. Really? And my mom. Seeing my mom play. That album. That album. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, bro, like for real, I told Anita that when I finally met her and stuff like that. I was like, yo, giving you the best that I got, sweet love, certain songs just made me want to play the piano. And, you know, and, and with Luther Vandross, too, they both use real piano. Right. Anita Baker, when I, I, I got a chance to go and record with her not too long ago, she never records without a piano player, a piano. When she's doing her vocals, there's a piano player playing the piano. It's not a track that they gave her, and she sings over the track. You know, so that just attracted me, you know. So your mother performed under the name, under the name Kim Yvette. Yep. And I think we have some audio of her singing. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> Uh-oh. Which we'd like to play. When oh, yeah. This is her Aretha Franklin vibe. gospel recording so she started doing uh she started doing gospel like late 90s early 2000s 
before that, she was all like disco, pop, R&B. But she always was the music director at church. So she would do the disco, pop, R&B stuff during the week. <laughs> and then she was the she was literally Whoopi Goldberg. Like she was a sister, she was sister act. And then Sunday morning, she was the music director at church. So that's funny. That's Y'all are literally the first interview I've ever done where they played my mom. Oh, dope. Man. Never did that before, ever in my life. And, and now, did you stay going to church? No. With your mom? Your mom didn't. No. Well, insist? no. I did. No. When I when well, she wanted me to. So when I moved from New York from Houston to New York for college, um, my pastor at the church I went to Ratliff. He made a call, and <laughs> I was immediately working at a church called Canaan Baptist Church in Harlem. Oh yeah, yeah, one sixteenth. Yeah. So immediately, right off of Seventh Ave. Yep. Yeah. And I literally, I the, my first two days when I landed the next day, I was at choir rehearsal. You know, and I played at that church for about two years, but then I started going on tour Yo, that's with crazy. different people. I used and to live down a block. Yeah. The church joint was was the jump walk. Oh I, yeah. I mean, I would walk to the train station on on Sunday mornings. And it'd be a line. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it was, it was like Michael Jackson performing. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like, it, it, like not just Harlem residents, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about like tourists mm-hmm. from yeah. Europe and mm-hmm. Asia. Like yo, yeah. like busloads around yeah. the corner. Yeah, bro. And you up in there like rocking. I was up in there. Yeah. You know, we, we we read that you lost your mother to tragic circumstances back in 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said on Twitter, "My mother was murdered 13 years ago today, the week of my birthday." I turned that pain into fuel and inspiration to be better and make her proud. Mm-hmm. So you had this like deep musical connection with your mother. Yeah. And I'm just curious all, all these years later if that's something that still feels like a, a vital and active connection. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, she's always with me. That She was my biggest fan. You know the moms that overly brag for no reason? This is like, you know, she was just a bragger and she she always made sure that I felt good about myself and that I was always good enough and you're great you know what i mean like as a black man coming up you need that as a boy you know and especially because i you know a lot of times went to white schools and stuff like that so she i think she also felt the need to make sure i felt felt that you know what i mean and so uh yeah she's 100 percent always always there always and my son looks just like her you know oh dope I mean? wow and at times he tells me he misses her he never got to meet her you know but he'd be like i miss i miss i miss grandma kim you know what I mean? And I'd be like, wow, she she's right there. You know, you don't even know. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, it's 100% there for sure. Toby. Yeah. You did a Grammy award-winning soundtrack called Miles Ahead for Miles Davis. Yes. Yes, that was awesome. That that has to be awesome, but that that, that's got to be daunting too, I would oh, imagine. Oh, my Jesus. First of all, it's the first thing I've ever did soundtrack-wise. And so Don Cheadle tweeted me. <laughs> that's how I got the the part he tweeted me he was like yo I love your music and I was like thanks you're Don Cheadle <laughs> that's literally what I said back to him and then we got to DMing you literally wrote that to I him? literally said you're Don Cheadle <laughs> that's not a, a response to <laughs> I know I just couldn't believe it it was my first celebrity tweet I've never gotten one before I was super hyped First, I went to his profile to make sure, and it was, and I was like, that's you. He had the blue dot. He had the blue check. Like, Got to be you, Don. And uh, yeah, so I was like, we started talking a little bit after that, and then he said, hey, man, I want you to score this film. Have you ever scored films before? I was like, Psh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, I did it. It was hard as hell, because I've never done anything like that before. 
and I had to do a lot of it away from Don while he was in LA. Well, I was going on tour with my band and stuff, so I, you know, had to do it remotely. So I had to learn how to do that stuff and send him like ideas. And he was sending me. And the thing is, half of the movie wasn't shot yet, so he'll be sending me what the scene's gonna look like in his head and be like, "I need music for that." So a lot of times, it'll take me ten tries of music for him to for it to sync with what's in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would have to write something, and then they would bring in actors. The actors had to act like they're playing what I wrote, mm. and then vice versa. Some things he already shot. And we would just put them on mute. And we had to make what they're doing look and sound good. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. Look and sound like the best band ever. You know? Yeah. So I imagine as a, as a world-class jazz mm. pianist, mm. Um, you're a historian as well. I mean, you, you, you know history. So mm. what was that like working on a project that would obviously have to really take into consideration a lot of – a lot of history and a lot of subtlety. It was great. This is Miles Davis. It's Miles so. Davis, but I already knew it because that was my show. No, I, anyway. I know you did. Yeah. But what about Don as a as a? Oh, he he did too. A, well, yeah. a lot of people don't know, man. He got a he got a scholarship to college for saxophone. Like he's a musician. Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don Cheadle. He's a musician, dude. Like, dude plays some bass. Like he picked up. We were in rehearsal one day, going over some of the music for a scene, and he picked up the bass. I playing a Jocko tune. What the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. you know, plays a little drums. So he really know, actually uh-huh. knows music theory. You know what I mean? So in a real way, we're able to talk in a real way musically. But, you know, he actually learned how to play trumpet for real for the role. Like, he can actually play melodies and stuff like that. So it's not all fake. You know what I mean? Keon, my boy Keon, had to go over something, you know, make it seem like, you know, uh-huh. make it clean it up with some of the stuff. But a lot of the stuff, the fingering's correct. Because he would play, he had to play to some actual Miles recordings, you know. On, in the movie, but the fingering that he's doing is correct. Wow. Bananas. Crazy story, though. What? About the Grammy. So Don didn't think we were going to win it. So he didn't go. He was like, bro, we're going up against Suicide Squad, Straight Outta Compton, the Amy Winehouse story. We're not winning. You know what I mean? Those, those are heavy hitters. I was kind of like... And, and commercially successful. each And other. commercially yeah. successful. Yeah. We were not commercially successful. <laughs> <laughs> Miles showed in like three theaters. Like, literally, I don't even know which one they were. So I was like, we're not winning. But I was like, let's just go, at least to celebrate us getting nominated. And I was like, if we win, you got to get dressed and come down. Because the category was early as hell. It was like 12 p.m. So then when we won, I called him from the stage, I think. I was like, yo, we won. I'm on stage. <laughs> so he gets dressed. And they come, they come to the thing, so we go back out, because I walked the red carpet going in. So now I want to walk it with Don. Yeah, or, or. You got to walk it with Don. With the hardware. With the hardware. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because when, when I walked with Don, it was the magnet. Everybody came over to us. Yeah. Rick Ross, this person, this person, this person, you know? So we walk, we walk the red carpet, everything's cool, and we go back into the Grammys. We try. Don went, because he hadn't been in yet. So they, scanned, they didn't scan his ticket yet. They scanned my ticket already. They scanned all my team's ticket already. So when we went to go scan again, they were like, we can't rescan. Did you leave? We were like, yeah. They were like, you can't come back in. Oh. <laughs> so we tried to go to the televised portion of the Grammys. They were like, no. <laughs> so we're standing outside. Are you, ho- are you holding been, the Damn, yeah, I should have been right there. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give it to you. It's not like the Emmys where they give it to you okay. immediately. Uh. So I'm standing outside. Meanwhile, all these people, are go- the guards like, no. Meanwhile, all these people are passing me up like, Robert Glasper, come take a picture. Congratulations on your Grammy. I'm like, sir, you see? You know, he's like, I don't care. So it took an hour for them to go get people. We had to give our IDs. Dang. And we finally got in. Yeah. But it just took an hour. 
Um, we, we touched on uh, your residency at the Blue Note, yes. which you switched up with your different projects. So you've got your solo work, and then you've got the Robert Glasper experiment. I don't do the experiment anymore. You don't? I'm not doing it anymore. So Why? I just have so many different projects I want to do. I did that for 10 years. So now I just have so many different projects that I, I want to get to. You know what I mean? So I had the same band for 10 years, you know? So it's just time to move on. When you're saying you have so many projects you want to get to, like like what projects? <laughs> oh, well, one of them is... <laughs> Why don't you share? One of them is... This uh, is a perfect opportunity. Right, perfect opportunity. <laughs> Talk about... What one one of them is a, is a group that I have now. We put out a record. It's called R Plus R. It's called R Plus R Equals Now. They did the last week of me at the Blue Note with me. And it's like basically like a super band. It's Christian Scott on trumpet. Oh my God. Terrace Martin on keyboards and vocal order and saxophone. Derek Hodge on bass. Taylor McFerrin beatboxing and doing some keyboard stuff. And That's drummer Bobby McFerrin's son. Yep. Bobby, Bobby came by the club and sat in with us. Really? Yeah, he uh-huh. came and sat in with us. Uh, Taylor's, Taylor's, Taylor's talented nasty. in his own right. Yes, he is. Yeah, Very sure. nasty. Yeah, yeah, cool yeah. Dude too. So that's what that's one of the groups I'm doing now. You know what I mean? And then I have the other my other group, August Green with Common and Kareem Riggins. You know, so then I have a bunch of other stuff in my pocket that I haven't done yet. So August Green, that was conceived around a Tiny Desk concert, is that right? Yeah, around there, yeah. Well, I saw the White House performance. The White House uh, performance. Tiny Desk for NPR. Come on. I met this girl when I was ten years old. What I love most, she had so much soul. She was old school. I was a shorty, never knew throughout my life she would be there for me on a regular. Not a church girl, she was secular. Not about the money. Studs that was I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm like trying to find words because when I watched it, I was just my jaw dropped. Right. I mean, you know, one, it was. President Obama's last days. Yep. So we were all feeling emotional about that. Right. But then like, you know, what, what Common was sharing and then Bilal singing and then you on the keys and Kareem and mm. the sister you had playing the flute. Elena. Elena Penderhughes. Bananas. Amazing. Did you get any FaceTime with Obama? After, yes. After the not, concert? Not, after, not, not that day. But because he, he wasn't there that day. But when you I met came, him at the Grammys, I met Obama. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I met him. I went to the, my second time going to the White House. I went for International Jazz Day, and I performed a song with Sting and Herbie. Woo! No big deal. But um, <laughs> just my life every day. You know, it was just a Wednesday, actually, just Wednesday. But that day, I got to meet Obama and talk to him. And me and Terrace, Terrace was with me too, and we went. And we got the chance to talk to him. Because Obama's, he said it in an interview, like his favorite hip-hop song was um, How Much a Dollar Cost, Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar. Yeah. And, you know, and Terrace produced that record, produced that that song. So Obama sat there and talked to us about how, why he loves How Much a Dollar Cost. You know, it was super dope. And I'm on all over that Pimp Butterfly album, you know what I mean? So it's just like, it was just like sitting there like, he's talking to us about the Pimp, Pimp Butterfly. It's amazing. Incredible. Can we go back to uh, R plus R and get a little deeper with that? What's that about? And what so are you R to plus do R that? is reflect. The name of the band is R plus R equals now. I made it an equation, and basically it's reflecting and responding equals now. So if you reflect in real time and you respond in real time, then you're now. You're relevant. 
And that's what has to happen, and that's what we're doing in music. You know what I mean? We're responding to what we hear, what our surrounding is. That's why when you hear my music, there's hip-hop in it. There's this in it, there's this in it, because that's now, you know? So I just wanted to get together a bunch of artists who I feel have that same thought process. And Terrace Martin, I've known Terrace since high school, really. We went to a jazz camp. He's from Compton, but we went to a jazz camp together, jazz saxophone player. Right soon after that, he started being the music director for Snoop and then started making beats for Snoop. And then, you know, he just started making beats and being that guy. You know what I mean? So he has the jazz, hip hop, both world things happen. And then he went on to produce, you know, stuff on all of Kendrick Lamar's albums, you know. And when Good Kid, Mad City came out, the Kendrick Lamar album, I was in love with that album. Like my favorite, one of my favorite hip hop records. I love that record. I called Terrace. I was like, yo, because he did a lot of stuff on there. I was like, Terrace, dude. Kendrick's next album, you got to get me on there somehow. <laughs> please, <laughs> please get me on there somehow. So push come to shove. Uh, a few years later, I'm in L.A. He calls me, yo, you're in L.A., right? Come to Dr. Dre's studio right now. Kendrick's here. We're, we're finishing up his new album. I'm like, cool. And I went there to play on this song called For Free. It's on there. It's like a poem. Like um, the second song on Pimple Butterfly. I played that song. And Kendrick was there. He saw me playing. He was like, oh, man, so I'm killing and then he just started pulling up all these songs from the record. Pull up so and so. Play some play what you hear. Oh, get he pulled out. up Yeah. Pull up this, pull up that. I played on eight songs sitting down. Oh, get out. In that one sitting. Crazy. When you're working on Pimp Butterfly, what, what was your interaction with Dr. Dre? Doc he wasn't there. Yeah, when I did the Pimp Butterfly, it was just at Dre's studio. Gotcha. You know what I mean? But Dre wasn't there. Uh-huh. I didn't meet Dre till this year. We had been trying to meet for a long time, for like two years. But timing never worked out. You know when I met Dre? At my 40th birthday party in L.A. This year? This year. April 6th, Dre texted me. In my mind, it wasn't a big party. It was just some people coming to a club to hang out. It wasn't like people were flying in. to You know I, mean? I You know. And you responded, you're Dr. Dre. So he heard, right. <laughs> so look, he heard, look, right? So they were like, uh, Dre, did, like, what time are you getting to your party? I want to fall through. I said, probably around 10.30. I'll be there at 10.30. I pulled up at 10.30. He pulled up same time. At bring, my party. Bring, 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 you heard it. Bring, I heard it. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. So look, I, me and him chop it up outside the party for about 20 minutes. And then he walks into my party with me. I walked into my 40th birthday party in L.A. <laughs> With Dr. Dre. And this time the security guards let you in. This time they let me in. <laughs> Actually, they didn't see me. <laughs> they're, they're, nobody saw me. All they, all they saw was Dre. I was like, should've it's my the, birthday. Should have the right. Grammys in hand. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we walk in, you know, and he hangs out and, and Herbie comes to the party. But while I was playing, uh, my man just saw Dr. Dre walk up to Herbie. He came on stage. Herbie's on the side of the stage. Walked up to Herbie to, and introduced himself to Herbie. Uh, like, uh, hi, I'm Dr. Dre. <laughs> I at my party. Like, like that's like crazy. That's crazy. You know what I mean? That's super bananas. Super bananas. Oh that's man. Let's talk about jazz. Jazz today. Jazz in 2018. I think um, you know that means different things to different people. Right. What, what does it mean to you? I come from a lineage of different styles of music that my people gave to the world. You know what I mean? Um, and so. In my world, jazz is just a, it's a big house with many rooms, you know? Black music in general for me is a big house with many rooms. And I can go room to room 
you know, so it, it, you know, in any given time, it could sound like something, it could sound like this, it could sound like that, but it's all improvised music, you know. It just depends on what your influence is. That's what makes it sound different, you know. Wherever you come from, that's what it's going to be. So, you know, everybody's jazz isn't going to be the same or sound alike. It's gonna, it's a story of a person and where you come from, your lineage, and you know what you love in life, what you don't love in life, all these things. I think know. for for a lot of people, they they think of jazz as as an older generation's music. They do. How important is it to you to to bring younger people into the fold? It's important because it was always. I feel like jazz has always been the new music of its time. You know what I mean? In 1920, it wasn't old; it was new. Mm-hmm. 1930 it was new. 1940 it was new. It was the new sound. 50s it was the new sound. The, and, and the newest. It's always been the newest. The most it was on the cutting edge, sure. avant garde. Like parents, people were like, "What are you doing?" You know, like, yeah. In 1970, same thing. You know, it just had instrument, electronic instruments came into play, and you know, became jazz fusion. So then that's when the separation started happening, where older jazz where jazz musicians were like hey you can't use electric bass that's not real jazz and you can't use electric keyboard that's not real jazz that's where that separation started coming from and when the electric people started playing jazz and it started mixing with funk and yeah you know and then it became you know took on some other life and some other things so the acoustic straight ahead cats are like no this is jazz over here we don't want to conform and change the sound you know we can't play that <laughs> you know so that's where you get those people who are like, you know, jazz is one thing. Jazz is this. But it's not. It's the the the, the tradition of jazz is that it always changes. So if somebody says you got to stick with the tradition, they don't know what the tradition is because mm-hmm. the tradition is it doesn't stick. It keeps moving. Can you share with us ways that you maybe have attempted to endear younger people? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I try to incorporate more genres of music. You know, because jazz is not a thriving genre of music. You know, there are like 10 jazz radio stations in the world, and they all play music from before 1970. So there's nothing connecting young people to the music at all. Literally nothing connecting young people. There's no reason why a 20-year-old would like music, would like jazz by listening to jazz radio. I can't be mad if they don't like it. It's the same thing if you played... Cardi B right now for your grandmother. Would you be like, why don't you like this? <laughs> you wouldn't, because you understand musically and just the way life has changed and the way, you know, it's just different. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no connection to Cardi B and your grandmother. Well, or, except for her song, uh, I Like It Like That. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, the Pete Rodriguez. <laughs> But, you know, you, you get that immediately. You know what I'm saying? If I play Lil Wayne for my grandmother right now, she'd be like, what the, he- what the hell are you? Yeah, yeah. What is this? She comes from a real instrument. She comes from jazz. She doesn't come from a hip-hop world. So if you play, if you flip, flip that same idea around, you got to understand why there's a disconnect and why they don't like it. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a hard concept to understand. Mm-hmm. So I just try to incorporate those kinds of sounds in my music, the sounds that I like. You know what I mean? I'm not selling out i'm not pulling i'm not putting things in my music just so young people can like it and i don't like it too you know what i mean these are things that i also like i also like different styles of music and i also like to mix them into jazz and do that whole thing so when people come to my shows if you ever come to one of my shows you'll see how diverse the audience is there's very few artists where you'll have an 80 year old white lady and a 15 year old black kid That, that was my mom at the same, 
shout out to Ava. You know what I mean? But I say that all the time. Like, that's how mixed my, my audience is. Like, it's super mixed. Which is not typical for for jazz jazz shows. Not typical for what, any show. Think about it. True, true indeed. It's interesting because you've been able to achieve this without compromising yourself. Exactly. Or compromising jazz. Exactly. Which is like, that's like the impossible task. Exactly, because that's the thing. Normally, there's a weak link, and you can hear it if you know the styles. Mm-hmm. You can hear when the jazz musician is trying to play hip-hop because you you hear that shit, and you're like, okay, you, you're a fan yeah. of hip-hop, but you don't really know how to play the shit. You know what I mean? You didn't yeah. really dig in, or vice versa, when a cat's trying to play jazz that's not a jazz musician. I hear the first measure. I know it. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. You know what sure. I mean? Jazz seems to lean towards a male-dominated experience and and you know you do have Elena Pendehues, Esperanza uh, Spalding yep. you yep. know you have you have women who are prominent mm-hmm. the legacy of of all the uh the Ella Fitzgeralds and Sarah uh-huh. Vaughns and everything but yep. where are women in 2018 in the forward progression of jazz I think jazz is just a male dominated sport and I think a lot of females get run over by that there's a lot of sexism in music <laughs> in general you know what I mean and so that's why I'm trying to be more vocal about, especially people that I have a musical connection with. Almost every project I do, I call her to do. You know, I call Esperanza. I call Esperanza all the time. There's just it's it's an imbalance. You know what I mean? It's not that the female jazz musicians lacking. Like there aren't any out there. They're out there, and there's a lot of good female jazz musicians. Great, great female jazz musicians. You know what I mean? But it's just one of those things where I think guys have to pay more attention and bring it to the forefront and try to change it. It's like white people change, helping to change racism. You know what I mean? Like, it takes somebody white sometimes to be like, no, this is how, this is what needs to happen. And then people start listening. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So it takes men to start saying like, hey, bro, she's dope. Why are you not using her? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What's, what's up with that? Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I just take, it takes more of that. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I'm trying to be more aware of that myself. You or, know what I mean? And, and try to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, Dope. because and not just make it about the singer all the time. You know what I mean? Like that's when people use female. Oh, I got a singer. Right. You know, like they put them in that box. Like, <laughs> like a female don't play drums. Like some of my favorite drummers are females. Nikki Gillespie is amazing. Kim Thompson. I know, there's so many. There's a lot of different great female jazz musicians out there. G- musicians in general, not just jazz, but you know. Or, you talked about your your audience being incredibly diverse, both yep. in in race and age. But I, I don't know if that's typical for, for, for jazz audiences. I, I went to see my boy Theo Coker the other day mm-hmm. perform. You know, the audience was predominantly white. It's everywhere. Like yeah, w- w- why do you think that is? I think a long time ago, white people made jazz into like a something you sit down and you appreciate. Like, oh, mm, this mm-hmm. is good. You know what I mean? Like one of those things. It was like, in Harlem. Like a, like a jazz. chess match. It was in Har- <laughs> like a chess match. Yeah, like golf or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, it was in Harlem in the dance clubs. Everything's popping. You're dancing. You're having a good time, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Then they took, the, then they took the, dance, the, the dance floor away and put chairs in it. You know what I mean? And then for a long time, we weren't allowed to go to jazz clubs. You know what I mean? Got to look at it that way, too. Black people weren't allowed to go to jazz clubs. Even the people who were performing, the, the artists you went to see wasn't even allowed to come in through the front. You know, they had to go through the back, and they had to eat in the kitchen. And, the, you know, we were treated like, you know, shit, mm-hmm. but we were the main act. You know what I mean? So it's not something that we're used to doing. Going to jazz shows is not something that's normal. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it has something to do with that, and I think it just has something to do with 
I don't know. I think black people just love new stuff. <laughs> like when it comes to like when you go to see like when you go to see jazz, when you go to jazz clubs, you see older white people. It's not like you're seeing a bunch of young white people. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily that. You know what I mean? So it's I feel like when you do something that's related to now and something the story of now, you start seeing more black people. You know what I mean? But with jazz in general, I think there's just so many jazz musicians that live in the past. It, they're living in the past they didn't even live in. It's not even their past they're living in. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't around in 1950. <laughs> where's, where's your story? Why are you telling that story? Uh-huh. The, that has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? Like, where is your story? Sure. You know, and a lot of people don't have their own story. They have the, the story they're taught in college or something. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Or what they think jazz is supposed to be. Academic. Uh, yeah, Academic and, and they're jazz. not liberated in being themselves. You know what I mean? I remember when I got liberated. I remember the day I saw Roja Grove play. At my high school, I was a senior in high school, and Ro Hargrove came to my high school, and he had on overalls and Timberlands. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, you can play jazz? First of all, I've never seen an all-black band. Okay. So it was my first time singing an all-black band, and I'm like, oh, and it's jazz, which shouldn't be like that, but that's what it was. I've never seen it before. And they all were dressed like me, and they looked like me. That inspired me. To be who I am. I was like, you can be who you are right now, still have the language, practice, and be one of the best at what you're doing, and still be you. You know what I mean? Most jazz musicians feel like you have to wear a suit and a tie every time you play, because back then, when you were black, you had to wear a suit and tie to get any sort of little respect. Sure, you, sure. you were, You had to dress like that. You know what I mean? You couldn't, getting real respect, getting respect shouldn't have anything what you have on. You know what I mean? And as a man, I want you to respect me as a man and who I am, not because I wear a suit. So that's why I, I'd never wear suits except when I'm going to the Grammys. <laughs> Which is often. Which is often. Or when I go to the Emmys. Whatever. We're not talking about my Emmy either. But we didn't bring that up. You got to talk about my Emmy later. But, you know, I, look, I want, I want kids to look at me and say, wow, he looks like me. And get inspired the it, way I was. That's happening. It's always happening. That's happening. One hundred percent. That's not even you want. That is yeah, yeah. that is actual fact. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and, look and when at you don't you look right like now. their principal, they don't. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they don't want you to look like their principal. Yeah. They don't want to be that. You want to be what what you look what you see. So Robert, multiple Grammys. You got an Emmy for your song "Letter to the Free" from Ava DuVernay's Thirteenth. Yes. Incredible, incredible oh, project. Super. Is the EGOT in sight or what? Hey man, you got right any- now I'm an egg. Common needs a Tony. We're discussing a Broadway play. Well, can you tell us about I that? I don't know much Wait, about he it. He got his Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, yep. Tony. Tony. Yeah. Oh, he has, wow, he has okay. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar. Okay. He just needs a Tony. So we're going to have that conversation. We're going to have it in a real way, but we're definitely going to sit down and really try to do think try to do a, broad, like a Broadway play. I don't know any details. We don't have any details. It hasn't been flushed out yet. Yeah. But that's the next move. Amazing. So, if you need any white people. <laughs> That, you know. White guy number two? I'm in. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's, yeah. So that, that would be, if I, you know, that would be something I would love to do anyway, but that would be, that would be the Tony part. Dope. You know. All right. Coming up next, it's the impression session with Robert Glasper. The following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. The CreditWise app from Capital One recently released three new features, including a social security number tracker to help users quickly detect fraud for free. Here's head of CreditWise, Joe Whitchurch. 
While identity fraud is intimidating and can sound really complex, a little bit of effort can go a long way in helping you understand if you've been a victim of identity fraud. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Lagunitas Brewing Company. Original employee Ron Lindenbush remembers when the founder asked him to take over Lagunitas Community Giving Program. And I said, what's our limit? And he said, huh, I don't think we have one. And I don't want to say no. When beer can turn into money to help a good cause, I don't want to say no to anybody. To learn more, visit Lagunitas.com community. It's the sound of the funky drums, and that means one thing. It is time for the impression session with Robert Glasper. I don't even know what this is. I'm scared. Robert, what we're going to do right now is play you a track. Okay. You react as simple as that. Sound good? You're going to play me a track and I react? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. We're going to play some, some music and you can just talk about it in any way you want. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and it's this is, this is jazz. It's free. Free okay. form. Whatever no you want to do. No problem. I can be pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh. not one of y'all's. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it doesn't have <laughs> to be. One of your a... nephew's uh, beat tapes or some shit. <laughs> wow. I'm about to shred it. Look. You might. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the hell is this? They should be killed. This no, is no, going to no. be fun. Edit. I might have to tell you who this is before no, you No, no, don't tell them. Don't no. tell them. Don't tell them. We can edit later. All right. Let's go. <laughs> I feel like I know the voice. So that's... Don't tell me yet. Well, okay, all right, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'm not going to guess. But it sounds... I like the drums and the percussion. Who is the... The lead person? Can I give you a hint? Yes. The lead person is also the trumpet player. Okay, hold on, hold on. No. <laughs> that sounds like late 80s. It definitely is. It's 1985. Okay. And it's Don Cherry. Oh, Don Cherry. Yeah. Oh, snub. I never heard that. Yeah, it's it's from an album called Homeboy, Sister Out. And, um, of course, Don Cherry is a, a, a legend. Of course. Um, the father of Nana Cherry. Yeah. And that song is called Alphabet. Is he singing? Alphabet there? City. That's him singing, yeah. Is he, Avenue <laughs> he's A, rapping. Avenue B, Avenue C. That's singing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. But okay. for me, that that's like, you know, other than, I think, uh, Kind of Blue, that's probably like the first quote-unquote jazz artist that I gravitated to when I was already sort of an autonomous young wow. music collector. Oh, you started really open. So it's an album that where he touches on reggae and funk and, and all that. Okay. And I think in that way. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. My first Miles album was Miles Around the World, uh-huh. and it was when he was ele- doing electric stuff. Okay. He was doing Human Nature and Time After Time and stuff like that. Songs I knew, so it gra- I gravitated yeah, yeah. to that yeah. first, and then I got into the, you know, the rest of it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah well, that's that's why I, that's why I picked it because for me it was like a very Im- it was an invitation into and, and I think I just that- knew Don Cherry from Ornette Coleman, you know, uh-huh. doing a lot of stuff with Ornette Coleman, his out super out uh-huh. stuff like that. But I never heard that before. 
I thought you were going to slay him for the no. opening rap. I can tell it was an OG. I mean, I can okay, tell yeah, yeah. it was early. Yeah, 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 like yeah. I said, I thought it was late 80s. It felt like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> for that time, yeah, fuck yeah. It's aged well, actually, to me. I mean, I played it for Bob, and he started laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, I really like this. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I next I couldn't co-sign the, uh, the verse there but, uh, but props to Don Cherry alright so let's get to the next song a woman playing the violin and her name is Mireya Ramos. Mireya Ramos? Mireya Ramos. Mireya. Okay. Can you say it with the, with the rolling R? Ramos. Ramos. Who's on piano? That's Robert Glasper. Oh shit, it's the joint? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the, the first part wasn't me. The first part was. Um, Eddie Pamieri. <laughs> dude, that's why I felt like. <laughs> I haven't heard it since the first time I heard it. Got you, got you. That's oh great. shit. Okay. That's so funny. Well, for our, our audience, that is the That's title the opening, track. Yeah, the opening song. The yeah. title track to uh, a film that I music supervised, directed, wrote, and produced titled Rock Rubber 45s. And uh, the first piano is by Eddie Palmieri, 10 time Grammy yeah. Award winner, uh, National Endowment of the Arts Jazz Master. And, uh, and then Rock And it goes Glass. down a few notches to me. <laughs> Thanks. Look, like, uh, the first pianist is 13 Grammys. We just would like to end on that. And a jazz that master. Grammy tsunami. And the second. <laughs> Yo, I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard it since, the, since we first heard it. That's yeah. crazy. My vision with having him on this track was I want to hear him on some, some hip-hop hard hip-hop drums. Right. Right? Right. And then for you, I kind of left it open. Yeah. And then you played a montuno, and for yeah. the people who don't know, that's that a montuno is like uh, yep. in Afro-Cuban music, the you know, like the the sort of the rhythm, the yep. The, yep. the piano rhythm. Yep. You blew it out the frame, Word. but I'm, I was curious, like, what is what are your Latin roots, or or your roots in Latin music? Because clearly, uh, there's something there that was oh, that I'm was a... you played that too naturally. <laughs> I love I love Chucho Vades. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. I love uh, I love Gonzalo Rubacaba. I don't even you know, know Gonzalo Rubacaba. Woo! New artist or old? Oh no, no, he's older. Well, he's not old as Chucho, but he's, he's, uh, Gonzalo's probably fifty something. Okay. But he's like, by far, probably the most technically sound pianist in the world. He's from Cuba. In jazz, yeah, we're both in the same label, both on Blue Note. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's Cuban. Yeah, Dope. he's Cuban. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of those two, and I've. I've got to, I mean, Gonzalo, like I said, we're on the same label. You know what I mean? And I've, I've just watched his shit from, you know, from when I was in high school. I was such a, such a fan. He's done duo shows with Herbie and Chick. You know what I mean? He's like, he's just one of those. Chick is nasty too. Oh, my Chick God. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, yeah. 
but for sure. So you know, and I I went to I went to school with one of my friends, um, Latino piano player uh, Richard Cruz in high school. So he used to show me my tunos and stuff in high school. Oh, word. You know I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's a little bit where you know I'm not super deep in it, but I have these little little connections where I where I'm like, okay, I get it, I get the vibe. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 for sure. Good stuff, man. Maybe me, you, and Stretch will work on a Latin album. I would love that. Yeah, that'd be dope. And my boy, Carlito Henriquez, you know Carlito? He's a bass player. He plays in Lincoln Center with Winton. Okay. Upright bass player. But we went to college together. So he was always hitting me to Latin music, like so much stuff. You know what I mean? He he plays with Gonzalo Rubacaba, too, and just every, you know, in all kinds of situations. But, but uh, yeah. All right, man. I think that's a wrap, Stretch. Yes, it this, is. That's it, that's that is our show. Wait, but that's our season. Oh my gosh! I was just Did telling I just him end that. the and season two of Stretch of Did I just do that? <laughs> you you're Bar. the closer, yo. Yeah, you're yeah. the closer. Yeah, we have to thank you for being. That's right. The, oh man, uh, the, the guest on our final episode of season two of it's What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. Thank you so it's an much. It's honor, bro. Appreciate that. Word up. Thank you. Because they told me uh, the rest, y'all needed some celebrity because you didn't have much on season two. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd you have here? Never Lenny heard Kravitz. Of, never heard of him. Yeah. Badu. Mm, nah. Black, yeah. black, what's his name? Black, black thinking? Thought, that, yeah. Got nothing. Nope. Never heard of him. So I'm glad I can help y'all out. I'm glad I can help y'all out and give y'all some, you know, some people to chew. Robert Glasper, everybody. Applauso! <laughs> Peace! That is our show and our season. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lanz, edited by Alexander McCall, Jordana Hochman, and Nigeri Eaton, and our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. Please remember to fill out our survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. It will really help us out. Music is provided by DJ Ellie as well as myself, and I actually want to shout out the security and the NPR New York office. Hussein and Ego are just quality individuals. I so look forward to them greeting us when we arrive. They're just lovely human beings. We haven't shouted them out the whole season. So Ego, Hussein, y'all the fam. If you like the show, you can hear more at NPR.org. And please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are Stretch and Bob. And on Instagram, we are Stretch and Bobito. What about peace? Peace!